Uh, today's reading is from Colossians, uh, verse 15. It's on the back of your little service sheet you've got. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which had been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Morning, everyone. It's good to be back up again. Um, when Dave asked me about taking this Sunday, he said, you can speak on anything you like. He says, we have no theme for that particular week. He says, so just whatever you feel. And it's one of those ones you think, oh, what will I speak on? And I thought about a lot of different things. But I went back to this passage because about a year ago, when Foundation was over in the Ormo Road, I actually preached on Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And this is actually the next part of that passage. I'm not going to ask any of you to try and remember what it was about, but hopefully it will tie in some of the great themes that was there. But I want to ask you a question. Do you ever try and find something that does everything you needed to do? For example, probably more for women, when you go shoe shopping, you try and find that pair of shoes that will be great for this occasion or that occasion where you can, you can wear them when you're dressing up or you can wear them when you're dressing down or, you know, or a coat. Sometimes with the guys, one of the things I do now is if I'm looking for a car, you try and find a car that will do everything you want it to do. You want a car that will drive really, really fast. You want a car that looks cool and is really sporty, but you want a car that still has a big boot because you've got that much stuff to carry. And it can be a challenge. But there's one thing I bought myself many, many years ago which did everything. It was a Swiss Army knife. And I bought it when I was out in Switzerland. And I remember going to this shop and I seen them in the window. They had the whole range of all these Swiss Army knives. And I decided, I want that one. I want that one. And I actually went and bought it for myself on my birthday. I bought myself a present. And I went into the shop and the woman said, do you want your name on it? We can do that. So I got my name on it. I got Derek written on this Swiss Army knife. And it had everything. It had a big blade, a little blade, scissors, a saw, screwdriver, tweezers, even this toothpick thing. It had several things which I never found out what they did. But this was a tool that could do everything. It was all that I needed. It was all that I could ever want. There was nothing more. 
than what I had in this Swiss Army knife. For me, it was just the complete package. And in the book of Colossians, that is the message that Paul is reminding the Colossian church. He's reminding them in the faith that they have in Jesus, the God that they believe in, the gospel of which they're saved by and profess is all that they need. It's the complete package. There's nothing missing. There's nothing more that they need. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul really encourages them as a group of believers, as a, as a young church, a new church, to seek God more. To seek him more through the gospel that they know is true and believe. To seek him more in their salvation and following in the ways that God is teaching. To seek God even in the difficult times and the trials in which they face. They were being challenged by new teachings, by false teachings, that they could find so much more by doing these other things or looking down these other routes. And Paul is saying, you can be full in your faith if you just trust God, if you trust that God is all that you need. And we see in this, these verses here, in verses 15 to 23, Paul really then starts to zoom in on what their focus needs to be. It's Jesus. It's Christ Jesus, this Son of God, the author and finisher of their faith, the one who has redeemed them. He's the creator, Christ. He's the redeemer, Christ Jesus. He's the ascended Lord, Christ Jesus. And he's telling them that trusting in Jesus is more than enough. It's all that they need. And there's three things I want us to look at that Paul teaches here. And the first one is in verses 15 to 17. We see that Jesus is enough because of who he is. Paul gives us this picture of Jesus as a supreme creator of all things. We see in verse 15 he said he's the image of the invisible God. He's like the father. So often in families, you can see a likeness between a father and a son or a mother and a daughter. And people can say, are they related to you or is, do they belong to you? So often, families, we have this common identity. We have the same traits, not always just looking like one another, but even some of the mannerisms that we have. Apparently, Susanna told me the other week that I do this, this mannerism that's just like my mum. Sometimes I stand in a way just. That's just the way your mum stands. And it's something I don't do deliberately, but it's just something that is just part of me because she's my mum and I'm her son. And Paul is saying that Jesus is the image of God. He is God's son. He has that likeness. Who God the Father is, is who Jesus Christ the Son is. He said he's the firstborn of all creation. Now in our culture, being the firstborn of the family doesn't really mean a big lot. Back then, to be the firstborn was very, very important because the firstborn was the heir to all things. The firstborn had a level of authority that no one else in the family 
could ever have. And he's saying that Christ Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He's reminding them that Jesus, God's son, is supreme and ruler over all of creation. There is no one else who ever was or will ever be like him. This is who Jesus is. In verse 16 we see that he is God's agent of creation. He's the one that was there. He's over all things earthly and heavenly. And all things were created through him and for him. This is who Christ is. He's over all things. He's before all things. And he will be at the end of all things. This eternal nature of God is in the Son, Christ Jesus. The one who died for us, the one who loves us, the one who saved us, is God himself over all things. Who Jesus was, the person of Christ Jesus, is beyond our understanding in so, so many levels. We can never fully grasp who he is in, in his nature, in his person. And Paul talks about it even more in verse 17. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I'm not a scientific person, but apparently one of the biggest puzzles in modern science is what holds things together. There's massive debate and massive theories about what holds matter together. What holds my body together? What holds this place together? What holds things together? Scientists will openly admit they don't know. There's no conclusive answer to what holds it together. There's lots and lots of theories. I remember watching a program, a documentary the other week, and they were talking about dark matter. This new thing, I think, about all the gaps between things that are held together is filled with stuff called dark matter. That was this theory. And it's this dark matter that sort of pushes against stuff and holds it together. And that was an interesting theory. But the question they then had was, so what's dark matter? And ah, well, we don't actually know. So this is the big, one of the biggest questions in science. What holds things together? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 17. It's God. It's Christ Jesus. It is in him, his power, his authority, his nature that holds all things together. This is how big our Lord and Saviour is. This is how big the one who bought our salvation is. He's beyond reason. He's beyond logic. He's beyond understanding. And to say that he is all that we need is an understatement. We have a God of abundance. We have a God of great things. You ever went to a party and you sit down in a seat and just, it happens to be right in front of you is this big bowl of crisps. Just right there. And you find that people start dipping into the crisps. And why is it that crisps in a bowl at a party taste so good? They're so moorish. You want more. And you can't just have one or two. And you find yourself nibbling away and nibbling away. And sooner or later you realise there's really nothing left. To the point where you're, you're picking all these wee crumbs. You're scraping around the bowl for the crumbs. And I've actually felt myself licking my finger. 
like that. And actually sort of poking into the bowl to get every last crumb. Because once you get a taste for it, you want more and you want more and you want more. And you really can't get enough. That you're scraping all these crumbs, wanting everything that you can get. And a lot of the time what you haven't realised is down the other end of the room, there's several more bowls full of crisps of which you haven't even noticed. But there you are, fading and trying to gorge in all these little crumbs to satisfy your desire. Quite often we do the same with Jesus. We know who he is. We know what he's done for us. And we want more. We want to know him more. We want more of his Holy Spirit. We want to know more of his presence. But yet we feed ourselves on these little crumbs and try and satisfy ourselves on what we think we can have of him. <coughs> but yet with Christ Jesus, it's like the bowls of crisps, there's loads more for us to have. In Christ, there's no limit to what we can have. We don't have to limit ourselves to having little crumbs and feeding ourselves on tiny little bits. Because of Jesus is, of who he is, we can be confident in what he's done and who, what he's created, what he's given for us. We can be assured that he is so much more and has so much more to give us if we only trust in him, come to him and feed off the abundance that he has for us. Jesus is God, the Lord of all things. And he has so much to give every one of us. If we just feed off him, he's more than enough. Secondly, we see in verses 18 and 20, that Jesus is more than enough because of what he has done. Because of who he is over all things. We see that he is the one in charge. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body. The church. Jesus as ruler. Has taken the lead. And shown us the way to go. He gives direction to us. His people. Of how we are to live. Of what direction we are meant to go in. He's the one that stands before us. Between us and God. As our mediator. Leading us back into that relationship with God that salvation promises us, leading us back to where we were supposed to be from creation with God as his people, as part of his kingdom. Jesus is showing us the way. He's taking the lead. He also says he is the beginning, the firstborn. It all started with him. Our salvation, the gospel message, started with Christ Jesus coming to be like us, as one of us. He's the one who lived a life and died on the cross for us. He rose by his own power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to prove our resurrection in him. What he has done for us we need to follow. We need to trust him. Follow his ways and live like him. Because he has done it already for us on our 
behalf. Verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians talks a lot about being in Christ, having Christ dwelling in us. In our faith that we have in Jesus, when we come to him, when we give our lives to him, he dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. His Spirit lives in his people. And it says he is pleased to dwell. There's nothing more that God wants than to dwell in the hearts of man. To dwell in the hearts of people who are giving their lives to him. And even the term to dwell, it's not a term that's used about passing through or stopping or, or having a break and staying there. To dwell means a permanent residence. When Christ comes and by his spirit dwells within us, it's not a something that happens for a time and he moves on. Christ is permanently living by his spirit in us. That's the beauty of our salvation. That's how great we have when we have faith in Christ Jesus. Because verse 19 says, in him all the fullness of God. And fullness here can mean two different things. The actual word fullness translates into two things. And Paul here is actually referring to both of them in this verse here. Because fullness can mean supplement. It can mean the bit that finishes, that completes, that, that, that makes good the rest. When I think of the word supplement, I think back many, many years ago to the old Mission Praise course books that came out. Now I'm showing my age here now. Mission Praise came out and it was the, the trendiest course book there was in every church. Then Mission Praise 2 came out to add the Mission Praise 1. And that was it. Everybody thought, oh, we've really got it now. Then a few years later, the Mission Praise supplement came out. And the supplement says, well, that's it. That's the complete set now. There's nothing more that's needed. There's nothing more to be added. And to me, that's sort of what the supplement is. It's this, this bit that makes it all complete. It just finishes it off. And sometimes we can see in our Christian life that that's what Christ does in us. Because with Christ's time on earth, what he was doing, he was finishing a work. And the work of Christ is, is still, in many ways, continuing. Because it will continue through to the last day when we're with him. And the Bible tells us that one day we'll be with him and we will be like him. The work of Christ is continuing. It's continuing in each and every one of us that we live in the fullness of God. His spirit in us, making us right, making us complete, making us full in God where we will one day be with him and like him. The second meaning is complement. So here fullness is saying it's something that's happening, but it's also saying it's already complete. What Christ has done for us, 
is complete. There's nothing more to add. Now, when I think of complete or complement, I think of complimentary tickets. And I remember many years ago, um, Susanna got complimentary tickets for this dance show. And it was quite a high-flying um, dance performance. I had never heard of them before, but that's all right. They were quite famous. And it was in the Royal Opera House. And we had got complimentary tickets. And these tickets, it's just looking blankly at me. Hopefully it'll come in a minute. <laughs> we had gotten these tickets, and it had got us into the show. It got us great seats in this show. But not only that, it got us into this sort of VIP area before and after the show. And I remember in this break, there was this break in the middle, and we were all sort of ushered in to, to this room. And there's these tables set out with all these like drinks and nibbles for important people. And there was me in the middle of it. And I found myself, I got into this conversation with someone who was quite important and director of some sort of arts thing. And they sort of, we sort of nodded and smiled and introduced ourselves. And then they said, and what do you do? And I says, I'm a Tyler. It was a nice conversation, but that was pretty much it. Um, there wasn't really much more to say after that. Um, but very quickly, I realized that here I was in a place with a privilege, which of myself, I shouldn't really be here. I didn't really deserve, there was nothing about me which merited me being in this place with all these sort of people who were all into the arts and all these gifts and abilities in that field. I was, I, I definitely shouldn't have been there. But because of this ticket that I had, there I was in that place of privilege. And that's a compliment that we have, the fullness that we have when Christ lives in us by his spirit. We have an abundance of grace and blessing <coughs> upon us. We have God's Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. Not because it's what we deserve, not because of our own gifts, abilities, or our good things. Because of the fullness of God. The compliment that Christ had bought on our behalf. Because of what he had done for us. We have something beyond what we ever, ever deserve. Because verse 20 says, through him to reconcile to himself all things. In Christ, we're forgiven. We're brought back into a relationship. All that we have done in the past, it's gone. Quite often we forgive people. We, we do that forgive but don't forget. We say, I don't hold out a hang about that person. But um, still not sure about them, about that, you know. So hard for us to let go and forgive people. But when Christ reconciles us, when we're brought back into a relationship of God, there's no grudge. There's no grudge because it's through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 20 says, making peace by the blood of the cross. Peace is made between us and God. The debt that we owe, the punishment that we deserve, one that we could never pay, 
One that no one could ever pay on our behalf by any man, any woman, at any price. That punishment was put on Christ Jesus, his son. He was sacrificed for us to buy our freedom, to pay for our sins, for our unworthiness, to make us worthy where we were not worthy, to give us privilege where we didn't deserve privilege. We have no part to play in our salvation. We have no part to play in living in this fullness. All that God is, that's in Christ Jesus, is now given to us, his people. There's nothing for us to add. I'm sure most of you, like me, you have a, a things to do list. And sometimes it's a little list where you write things down. Other times it's this list in your head of things you think, oh, I really need to get around to that, I really need to do this, and I should get that sorted. Imagine if you went home today and everything on your things to do list had been done. Your house, everything had all been tidied. All the washing and ironing had been done and all put away. There was a big lunch had been made for you just to walk in and sit down. How grateful would we be to the person that had done that for us? How thankful would we be if someone did all that for us? We'd want, we'd be so grateful, we'd be so indebted to them, we'd want to think, well, how can I pay you back? How, how, how can I thank you for this? Because to have someone to do so much for us would be amazing. But when we think of Christ and what he has done for us, how much more he has done for us, why do we find it so difficult so often to give him the thanks that he is due? Why do we find it such a challenge to praise him and worship him in the way that he deserves? Why do we struggle to, to serve him and give to him what is so little of what we have to offer compared to what he has given us? Hopefully you're understanding what I'm saying here. And it's not just me who's struggling with this. But when we really grasp of what Christ has done for us, it can be so humbling when we realise how ungrateful we are at times. How little we give back to God. How much desire and passion we have for him in our own hearts. And the reality is, it's a battle that we have with our sinful nature. It's a struggle that we have, even though that Christ is in us and dwelling us. It is something that's happening. We are transforming. We are being changed. We're not yet the finished article. Because we see, thirdly, in verses 21 to 23, Jesus is more than enough because of who I am now. In verse 21, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That is not a complimentary verse about anyone. To say you're alienated, you're, you're separated out there, not part of us. You're estranged, you could use that word too. You're enemies of God. 
You're hostile to him. You're doing evil. It sounds awful. It's not nice. But that is everyone. That is everyone. It's not just the people out there. We could probably think of many, many people we could look at and go, yep, they, they fit that description. That's exactly who they are. That's the way they live. That's the attitude that they have. It's talking about us. It's talking about everyone. Because we all have a sinful nature. We were born into sin. The desires of our heart, the Bible tells us, are not desires for God. They're desires for what we want. They're desires which actually put us in conflict with God, make us enemies of him. People don't like the idea of punishment. And when we talk about God punishing people, that's one of those things, it doesn't go down well in our modern culture. But every one of us in this room here today deserve the punishment of God. We know in our own hearts the attitudes that we have, the struggles that we have. Earlier in our service, we had time to confess the attitudes that we have. We had a couple of minutes. Barely scratches the surface for all of us, really. The anger that God has against us is justified. We, we deserve it. Because this is who we wear. And that's the key. It's who we wear. Because those of us that have faith in Christ, that are followers of him, we see in verse 22, he has now reconciled. Through God's initiative. It's not what we have done. It's not any of our efforts or, or anything that we have done to get back to God. He has reconciled us. Through what Christ has done, he is the one that has brought us back to God. He's brought us back how? By the death, his death. 20, verse 22. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. His body of flesh by his death. What Christ did for us was real. One of the difficulties the Colossians were facing was this new teaching where the person of Jesus was seen as someone who was just this, this spiritual being. And this idea of this death and life was all spiritual. They didn't believe that it really, really happened. And this was challenging the believers. And we talk to people today, it's still a very common belief. People say about this Jesus and it's, yes, that's something he says spiritual being that does this and that and the other. There's lots of stuff out there which goes down that route. But the struggle is to realise that Jesus was a real man. He was God who became man, who really came down to earth, really lived, really died, really rose again and really ascended to the Father. That's because of what Christ really did. It means that it's real for us. We really die in our sins. We really rise with him to new life forgiven. That we will one day be ascended to heaven with him. Our faith, our salvation is real. What Christ did really happened. And what's the outcome of that? 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Us in our sinful nature, separated from God, enemies of God, deserving his condemnation. Through Christ, he's now made us holy, without blemish, blameless, above reproach. What an amazing transformation that we have in Christ Jesus. From being evil and sinful, we're now holy and blameless. We are now new in Christ. We now have a new identity. By his Holy Spirit, we have a new heart that's changing us. It's not that we're finished yet and we're fully blameless and fully holy. We go through this battle every day of our lives. But by his Spirit, our desires of our heart are being changed. That what was once sinful desires for ourselves is now being changed for more desire for God. Less desire for the things of ourselves. It's a contrast from what we once were to who we are now. It's a beautiful picture of transformation, what we are. So how do we respond to this? How do we keep going? What direction do we follow? Well, verse 23 says, continue in the faith. Keep believing in what we know is true. Is true. Keep trusting in the Lord and the God of our salvation. Be established and firm. Be stable and steadfast. Don't shift. Because we will get challenged. We will have difficult times. The city of Colossians was built in an earthquake region. So the idea of having a strong foundation, being stable and firm, was something that they knew about because everything that they built had to be on a strong foundation because it would all get a shaking from time to time. It would be tested if it would stand firm. And it's exactly the same with our faith. It will get shaken. If you've never had your faith tested or shaken, trust me, it's coming. These are things that happen. We will be tested. But we put our foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ. Steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We can live in confidence in the gospel message that saved us, that's changed us, that's making us holy and blameless and sometimes in this struggle we feel like we can't go on and it can be a bit like climbing a mountain if you've ever done any sort of hill climbing or mountain climbing one of the deceptive things you find is you keep seeing the top but every time you get to what you think is the top you realise it's not there's always that bit more just over the ridge there's always more and always more and sometimes you get to what you think is the top and you realise there's more and you thought I can't go on I can't keep doing this. I can't go any further. But one of the encouraging things we can do in that moment is just stop for a moment and look around 
And if you turn and look back down, you can see how far you have come. And sometimes in our journey, in our spiritual walk, in our life with Christ, we need to take a moment. We need to just stop and realize who we are in Christ Jesus. Realize the Savior that we have, who is Lord over all things. To get a grasp of what he has already done for us, in this, the fullness that he has done, this perfect work of salvation that's complete but is continuing in us. The resources that we have, all of Christ living in me, his Holy Spirit living in me, everything that Christ demonstrated on earth by his Spirit is in me. That strength that we have. Look at what he's brought us from, from being separated, alienated, enemies of God, to being holy and blameless in God's eyes. The faith that we put in Christ Jesus is more than enough. It's all that we need. There's nothing more that we need to find. There's nothing missing. Christ has done it all. He's done it all in who he is. He's done it all in what he's done. He's done it all when we even look at ourselves and see what he has done in me and where I am now. And today, the challenge for us is trusting that Jesus is enough.